I am glad to be here with you guys today. My name's Eric. I'm lead pastor here at Alpine in Brigham, soon to be lead pastor at our Riverdale campus, and I get to deliver the fourth week of our message called Proof of Life. We started this series on Easter Sunday talking about how the, the scripture of eyewitness accounts prove that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And a man named Paul, we started off with these verses in 1 Corinthians, a man named Paul who wrote a majority of the New Testament um, tells us how important this message of the resurrection is. And he also shows us that the scriptures prove that there were eyewitness accounts. And so here's what he says. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. And so Paul's writing this letter to a church in Corinth that he helped start. And so he's, he's reminding them of what's most important and why they should be able to trust because there were these eyewitness accounts. And so we have looked at uh, three weeks before today, we're going to talk about Paul's interaction with the resurrection. But before we get to that on Easter Sunday, we talked about how Jesus came to the outsiders. And the outsiders, uh, we uh, said were the sinners, the tax collectors, and even women in that day. In Jesus' day, women were not allowed to give testimony in open court, and they weren't uh, uh, trusted with their eyewitness accounts. And so the, the, the point is, if somebody made this story up, why would they have used people whom their testimony wouldn't have been trusted. And we said, because that's how it actually really happened. Jesus was proving that he wasn't going to go man's way, but his way was that he was going to reach out to the outsiders. And he allowed, actually, women were the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection, because that's exactly how it happened. And then a week after the resurrection, Thomas the doubter, he's called the doubter because he didn't believe the women, and then later, the women who came and told the men, and Jesus appeared to them, he said, I don't believe it. I won't believe it until I see it. Maybe you guys can relate a lot to Thomas. Like, ah, I'm a little bit skeptical. I am not going to believe it unless I see it with my own eyes and can touch it with my own hands. And then Peter, the third week, we've talked about how he was a complete failure. Like, from the beginning, he was so zealous to follow God's way and to be Jesus' number one warrior, and he failed so many times. And the point of it is, is why would, if, if they wanted to make this story up, why would they put this embarrassing story about the doubter and about the, the guy who actually led the disciples? Why would put, they put this story of his failure in there unless it's exactly how it actually happened? And it also helps us to feel uh, like we're, these guys aren't, you know, far away from us. We all can relate somehow to being an outsider, a skeptic, or a failure. But today we're going to talk about a guy who 
we may not be able to uh, relate to as easily. This guy was a zealot. Uh, what that means is that he was, he was uncompromisingly uh, arrogant about his ideology and his belief system. Now, you probably know people like that, you know, maybe with politics, right? Anybody with politics, they have their own set of way of believing how it should be, and they, they annoyingly push it on others, pre- press it on others, and they judge people who see things differently, and they would even go to the cause of, of, of fighting for it. And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, you know, rallies, you know, and political rallies and protests and all that type of stuff, but the zealots of his day were those type of people were out there fighting for a cause, and Paul was fighting for a cause that was wrong, although he thought it was right. He was a religious leader, he was a Jew, he was a Pharisee, and he had this high standing in his religion, and he believed that his way, you know, following the law and the temple rituals and all the things that he did, you know, that, that earned his pedigree, his background, his education, he was so prideful about it. He had this righteousness that was uh, his own, his selfish self-righteousness that he had a lot of pride in. And then he has his world turned upside down. But this is the type of people that God uses from all kinds of different spectrums. But look, let's get into Paul's story of proof of life. Paul was successful at living a religious life, but his confidence in his own goodness actually turned him against Jesus. Now, as I said, Paul went on to be the majority writer for the New Testament. So he had a a major change in his faith. He opposed Jesus, and he he was of the religious elite who did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the Messiah, that he was the one that has come to save everyone. And so he was so zealous about wanting to hold to his way of beliefs and thinking that he wanted to go persecute the Christians. He'd actually go imprison them and arrest them. And he actually stood and held the, the tunics and coats of the leaders as they stoned Christians to death because he believed that they were wrong, and Paul thought his way of life was the right way. Let's look at some of the things that he said about himself. In Philippians chapter 3, this is him looking back kind of in repentance. He's saying, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. You see, Paul was extremely sincere in his beliefs. But I'm here to say some things today that might offend some people. It might offend people because of your family, your friends, your co-workers. And I certainly, I don't know, it could be questionable if I like offending people or not. I mean, it certainly comes out of my own nature. I, I just naturally do it. I don't want to do it with my own opinions because my, own, my opinions uh, aren't worth much. But 
when it comes to the truth of the Bible and what God said through the Holy Spirit in these writers, it is offensive. And the gospel offends people who have thought one way their entire life, right? They've, they've grown up thinking a certain way about God and life and faith. And so certainly when someone comes along and changes or challenges your beliefs or your faith, you naturally get offended by that, right? Your whole, if your whole life was, you know, based on trying to live up to a certain standard and, and to make your family proud, right, and to live your family's faith, and then, and then I come along and say, the Bible says that all of that is actually the wrong way, well, certainly you're like, whoa, wait a minute, prove it, prove it to me, right? That sounds pretty offensive, my family's going to get offended, and that certainly is what happens in Paul's life. We're going to see that play out. Paul is certainly sincere about his faith, okay? He really has a passion for it. But you can be really sincere about something and be completely wrong, right? You can't just look at someone because of their passion and their drive towards a certain belief that, oh, it must be true because they are they are diligent about keeping the rules and the commandments of their faith, right? That is not what tr- proves truth. You can be sincere and still wrong, and that's what we're going to find out in Paul's life. Paul's religion, although he thought it was getting him closer to God, pushed him farther and farther away. You see, if you, don't, if you have the wrong information and the wrong beliefs, even though you're sincere about it, uh, it doesn't make you like you're, you're not accountable, right? Like you can't claim ignorance and say, well, I just didn't know any better. So it is still sin to believe the wrong thing. Here's what Paul goes on to say as he's telling more of his story about how zealous he was. He says, I used to believe that I had to do everything I could to pose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. And did I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. Paul was zealous about his faith, but as you and I know, looking back, right, hindsight 2020, if you know the story of the Bible that the nation of Israel had it wrong. They had it wrong about the Messiah and who God was and what God demanded. Now, they, they missed that Jesus was the one who came to change this system that they were under. But Paul rejected that. And so, as I said before, we can't go to heaven one day and say, well, I, I followed my family's religion and faith to the best of my ability, so won't you accept me in heaven, God? Like we, we, they, our family is not accountable for our own faith. Each person has their own decision that they have to make for what they believe about Jesus. Your family's faith can't save you. Your friend's faith can't save you. Everything that you've believed, your opinions and your ideas are not what can save you. It is the truth about who Jesus is that can save you. So we, we, we can't just say, you know, it's, it's what I've always known, right? 
like, or my family, like, they're good people. How could they be wrong? Because they're so good and they, they do nice things and good things, right? How could this be bad? It feels so right. It feels so right that what, what they do is right. And I just can't live up to that, but they're right and I need help. But again, your faith is your own. We need a personal relationship with Christ, not what our friends and our family and our coworkers and the people around us believe. We better go do the research on our own if we're going to bank our eternity on our faith. And that's exactly what Paul needed. He followed the faith of his family and his youth, and he did it well. But he was shown that it was all wrong. Paul had a surprise encounter with the resurrected Christ. He had a personal encounter with Jesus that challenged everything that he believed. And in one moment, his entire approach to God was turned upside down. You see, Paul, uh, moving on in the story, as Paul talked about his background and history, we're going to see that Paul, uh, in Acts chapter 9, he's so zealous that he says, I'm going to go to a foreign city, as we read earlier in the the earlier verses. I'm going to go persecute Christians. I'm going to go challenge them. I'm going to go imprison them. I'm going to stop them because this is what God wants. He doesn't want anybody to go against our family faith or our our nation's heritage, right? The surrounding culture to go against that is wrong, Paul believed. And so he's headed to this city called Damascus where he's going to go find Christians and lock them up. And Jesus shows up and changes everything. Here's what happens. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission... A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, as as you see, it says Saul in there, and I've been saying Paul this whole time. Well, Paul's name used to be Saul. That was his Hebrew name. As a matter of fact, he had a lot of pride in that name because the name Saul is the first king of Israel, right? And so in his circles, he wanted to be called by his Hebrew name, which was Paul, but he later takes on the name, wait, his Hebrew name was Saul. He later takes on the name Paul. I'm going to tell you the reason why in just a moment, but Jesus comes to this man, knocks him to the ground, it says. He's blinded is what it's not saying in there. But if you go and read the story, he's blinded. He can't see because the light shone as bright as the sun. And he hears this thundering voice. And it's Jesus who had come in and intervened in his life. And he's like, who are you? And he says, I am the one that you have been persecuting. Now, you might say right here, well, okay. This is going to be easy for him to believe, right? Because Jesus came to him, right? He, he, he divinely intervened in his life. And I've never been blinded. Jesus never shown up and talked to me. And that might be true. But, oh, that we wouldn't have to have that happen to us, right? I don't know about you, but I don't feel like being blinded to trust in Jesus, right? To believe that he's there. But I will say that I have been 
knocked off of my high horse and my own pride and my way of thinking. There are ways that I thought was right in my own eyes, in my life, and I continued to follow my way. And at a point in my life, Jesus intervened and put me in a place where I would actually listen to him. I want you to think about your own lives right now. Maybe Jesus hasn't showed up in a blinding light, but Maybe there's been things that's been allowed to have been happen in your life, right? Maybe there's been some pain, maybe trial, maybe struggle. And oftentimes we just shrug all that stuff off like life is unfair, but we never think, is God trying to get a hold of me, you know? Like, I'll say this. I have a lot of people come up and ask for prayer, and don't be afraid after I tell this story to come up and ask for prayer. But I, people come up and ask me for prayer for all kinds of things, and you should do that because the Bible says to ask for prayer. But people come up for things like hurting family members and, uh, you know, something, you know, a court date coming up or, you know, some kind of illness or sickness or something like that. And my number one prayer every time I pray with a person along with healing or God's guidance, is God, let this be the moment that they finally wake up. Let this be the moment that their family member or friend reaches out to you and sees you in the pain. Let this be the time that you are intervening like Paul is is having Jesus intervene in his life and he's blinded for three days. And then eventually... That's what it took for for Paul's hard-headedness to finally believe as Jesus had to blind him, come up and, and, and show up. But I wish that it wouldn't take us that, right? I wish that we would see the things that are happening in our life. And I know all of us can think back where you knew that God was speaking to you. You knew God was trying to get you to listen or to think about living a different way of life. And maybe you just shrugged it off and you didn't listen. Well, Paul had to have a moment of being put in checkmate where he had nowhere else to go. He couldn't do anything else. He had to be led by the hand to this city. And what happens, what we see is this, this great encounter um, that happens. You know, I just want to say this too. I, I think that people might say, well, that's kind of mean of God, right? It's mean of God to show up and to blind him and almost like have to control him to get him to change his mind. That's what some people might think, but I I don't know about you, but I wish God would control me sometimes. I wish that I didn't have full uh, control of my own faculties and make some of the decisions that I have regretted. I wish God, please take control of my life, but sometimes God allows us to be in these painful trial situations because it's the only way that he can finally get us, right? It's been said of God before uh, by reformers, he's called the hound of heaven, right? He's hunting for us. He's searching for us. Or you can call him the, the, the divine angler, like a fisherman with, with bait on the lure. He's trying to get us. And eventually we get into that little place where we make the decision to be captured, right? And, 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 and that is what God wants to do. And he does it out of love, right? He's not trying to enslave us or, or to control us, but he is searching for us. And I want you guys to think of those moments in your life or be aware of them. When things come up, 
I want you to not just shrug it off anymore. Just start thinking, is God trying to say something to me right now? Is he trying to get closer to me? And so Paul, he takes the call. Uh, You know, Jesus tells him, you know what you're going to do? You're going to go be my mouthpiece. (laughs) You were a terrorist. Now you're going to go be my evangelist. You were completely against me. Now you're going to be completely sold out for me. So he goes to the town. It says, Saul stayed in with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked, And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest? And you might say, Man, I thought God was just, right? Like, you might have been cheering for if God shows up, like this guy that's against Christians, take him out, right? Like, like if God was just, he would, he would come and not just blind him, but just evaporate him, incinerate him, get him out of here so you can do your will and your work, Lord. But no, that's not the way that Jesus operates. He is so He is just, but he is so full of grace and mercy. I want to read a portion of scripture to you. I won't have up here, but it's in 1 Timothy. Paul is training up a pastor to take his place, and he's telling them, and he's recounting this story, that his conversion that happened. And he says this in, in, in 1 Timothy 1, starting in verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost, Paul saying this about himself, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost chief of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. Jesus longs to show us mercy. He even hunts us down to find us, to change our minds, to follow after him and to quit trusting in our own beliefs and our own uh, way of thinking that everything is, 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 is truth, right? That there's all these different truths out there and, and I follow my family's faith and I follow what I've always believed. But here. What Paul does, he humbles himself, and so he changes his name from Saul, which was a king's name, and a teacher is what it really means, and now he, his, the name Paul is little, small, humble, because he sees everything about himself that he had pride over is now worth nothing, as he recounts in Philippians chapter 3, I once thought these things were valuable, 
But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with them, with him. Now, he's, he's basically saying, everything I've ever worked for, all my education, all my good works, my good standing in the church, and my, my good standing with my family, and my morality, and my pedigree, all of that means nothing. All of that is, is worthless compared to actually having a relationship with Jesus Christ, the one who is truth. He says it's all garbage. And, and another translation of that word is dung, refuse, excrement. It's disgusting. Not only are my works, when I try to come to God and, and try to work my way on my own standard with my own self-righteousness, not only are they not right, they are disgusting. And he wants to be far from them, right? I don't want to hang around with garbage. I want to clean. I want to be clean. And the only way to do that is to be in a great, perfect relationship with Jesus Christ. What a dramatic change. He loses his religion and finds Jesus. And my, my, my application to you, to all of us here today, is maybe you're in that crowd, right? Maybe your family, maybe your friends, maybe you look at other people around you and you wish you could live up to that standard, right? And, and maybe you've tried your whole life to make people around you proud with your religious faith. But Paul says, man, I, I was going the wrong way my entire life, and it's all worthless. And now I just want to know Christ. I want to do what he wants me to do. I don't want to follow my own opinions or ideas anymore. And so Paul's story is proof that Jesus really did rise from the dead and that he can be found by anyone who's willing to admit that they've got it wrong because this type of conversion isn't normal. Now, some people who try to debate biblical stories like this, like psychologists and stuff, would say, well, maybe he got brainwashed, right? Maybe he got brainwashed by the Christians. They came and got him and, and brainwashed him because it's, you can't explain being one way your entire life and then be completely opposite, be the man who would go give up his entire life, all of his pedigree and his standing to go preach something completely and radically different. John Calvin said that not only was he a wolf out to get the sheep, but he was a wolf who turned into a sheep, right? God uses the, the idea of a sheep and, and, and shepherds as the church, right? He's a wolf who turns into a sheep, and then he even takes on the characteristics of a shepherd to take care of the sheep. That is impossible. Only by the power of God through Jesus Christ coming and having an, an, a personal divine encounter with a person can a man change that much. Now, I can't say that I was like him. Maybe I was 
annoying and like a zealot, you know, early on in my faith, went going on to offend people and, and fighting for a cause. And, 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 but I think there's two different kinds of people in the world, really. Like naturally, there's people that follow rules and there's people that don't follow rules. And, and you know, the people that follow rules, right, like they just have this, this thing in them where if you see a sign on the wall or you hear something on the news or somebody tells you something, it sticks with you and you just want to follow it to a T. And I, I got to say, I respect you, you guys, like, because I can't do that for some reason. I am so skeptical and untrusting of everyone. And I maybe out of a little bit of pride, like I see signs on the walls or people say something on the news or whatever. I'm just like, that don't apply to me. Like, who's this person in my life to tell me what to do? But Paul was one of these rule follower people, and now he's changed into being someone who opposes everything that he set up. Now, I don't know about you, but this dramatic change um, that happened in his life, I can relate to it on the level of I thought I was... I was I thought my way was right. I had a pride in living the way that I lived. But yet Jesus came into my life and changed me to be a person that I never thought I would be. Now, maybe a lot of you are like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to be extreme. I just want to be, you know, not cause a fuss. I want to have my faith over here and I want to have my hobbies over here. And, you know, I'll clo- put Jesus in the closet when I go live the rest of my life and I want to come you know, follow Jesus and, and save face and, and come to church on Sundays and all that type of stuff. Maybe that's you. Well, Paul is not like that. So we're not saying that you can just believe in Jesus and do whatever you want, whenever you want. We are saying that it is Jesus plus nothing, not my own works, and I can't make it to God other than through the name of Jesus. But we're not saying that uh, it doesn't mean that your life is going to not take a change or effect. Here's what he goes on to say in Philippians 3. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now, Paul is not just, hasn't become, he didn't move from being super religious to lackadaisical. He didn't move from being a person who wanted to really honor God to a person that says, now God doesn't care what I do with my life anymore. No, instead what he did is he laid down everything he thought and everything he believed and he threw it to the side, said it's worth nothing and everything I want to know, I want to follow Christ so much so that it will cause me to suffer. I want to follow him and know him so much. I want to share in his death. Oh, that if I could just die, that would be gain for me because then I could share in the suffering of Christ. Now, how many of us think that way, right? We're like, ah, I don't want any problems in my life, right? And I don't want to cause a stir or a mess. And I I don't want all this burden on me. And, and that is not what he is saying. He has a love for Christ because of a personal relationship, not a religion. It causes him 
to change the way he thinks and think, I want to give up my entire life for Jesus. And so that's what Paul does. He doesn't go live however he wants, but what he wants is what Christ wants. So he spends the rest of his life being locked up and imprisoned and and planning churches and being persecuted and being beaten and whipped and finally dies for his faith because of the value of knowing Christ surpassing all of anything that could happen to him in, in this life. This message of Jesus plus nothing, because what happened in the the church after all of this, people started getting confused again. They were like, okay, yes, believe in Jesus, but I got to work for it, and I got to earn it, so let's add this, or some another gospel, or some other person comes up and says, yeah, Jesus is great, but all this other stuff too that he wants us to do. And Paul goes on in the rest of the New Testament correcting people over and over again. No, it is Jesus plus nothing. Christ alone. Faith in him alone. And so religiosity or rebellion alike, they are both sin and they both separate you from God. You are sinning when you try to earn your way into God's favor. Jesus plus nothing is a hill to die on for him. And he went in his, his whole life and died on, died on a hill of Jesus plus nothing. Jesus died on a hill to prove that he did all the work for us. And so maybe you're here today and you, you're not sure what you believe about all this. You're like, man, I don't know. Like, it, it sounds good, but I don't know if I can trust it or believe it. We'll take the eyewitness accounts of these men and women that saw the risen Christ and turned their lives up down, turned the world upside down. Here we are, 2,000 years later, reading these old writings that have changed millions of people's lives. And get to the place, I pray, where you have that personal encounter with Jesus and you don't continue to just believe what everybody else around you believes. If you want to talk with someone about that afterwards, I would love to pray with you and to talk with you, and we'll have leaders and pastors up front. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, I guess I just come to you today asking for forgiveness, and I know you'll forgive me. The Bible says if you confess, you forgive. It's a promise. And so I confess, Lord, that sometimes I try to save face and I try to put on an act or a show and I, uh, I fall into my old human nature of, of thinking that I'm supposed to do more, that, that you weren't enough, that your death on the cross was, was, only takes care of part of it and then I got to do all this other stuff and, and I know that offends you. You inspired Paul to say that that was garbage, that was dumb. Forgive me for offending you, God, for coming to you in religion. Or forgive me for never trying to have a personal encounter, accepting or listening to your voice, but instead wanting to have an easy life with my family around me. Help us have a radical change in our lives that would put us on a trajectory that helps us to know you in the way that Paul knew you. Help us to follow you 
We need your help to do it. Even now as believers, God, we struggle with going back and forth in the way that we think. Let us rest in the fact that you did the work for us. There's no condemnation for us when we mess up. We're forgiven. But let us love you back. We love you, Jesus. Amen.